My name is Jennifer Kronk from the Assist Learning Podcast. I'm a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of the individual hosts. Make sure you check out all the other great podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com and get ready because the learning begins in three, two, one. Welcome to the Instant Relevance Podcast. The Instant Relevance Podcast is an education podcast featuring the latest news and resources to make learning relevant for all students. Hosted by me, Dennis Sheeran, and Raymond Steinmetz, follow us on Twitter at InstantRel. I am Dennis Sheeran, the author of Instant Relevance, Using Today's Experiences to Teach Tomorrow's Lessons, which was a book published by Dave Burgess Consulting in 2016. And I am excited to share our thoughts and ideas about what makes learning relevant with you and with our community. And I'm Raymond Steinmetz. I run a blog called blendedlearningmath.com. I can be found on Twitter at blended underscore math. I am a guest blogger at Education Post, as well as a regular columnist at eSchool News. I write regularly about the integration of education and technology, specifically blended learning. And you can find me as well on Twitter at MathDennisNJ or on my website, DennisSheeran.com. Welcome back to the Instant Relevance Podcast. We are glad you are here for episode two. And today we're going to be talking a little bit more about how to start the school year. This episode is coming out right at the end of August here where a lot of you are starting your school year or it's about to come up if you're a post-Labor Day school starter like I am here in New Jersey. Maybe some of you have even been going already. I have a, a teacher friend in Atlanta who I think started a week and a half ago already and that to me is just crazy. But uh, we're excited to have you here as we talk about the start of the school year. A little bit later in the show today, we're going to be welcoming our guest, Quinn Rollins, who is the author of Play Like a Pirate, who has some incredible, interesting, and creative ways to start out the school year, and we are excited to have him with us today. So before we bring him on, I'd like to throw something out to Ray, because we've been talking a little bit about how we're going to start the school year, and over the past couple of years now, I've been thinking an awful lot about growth mindset in my math classroom. I've been learning through Joe Bowler's courses on mathematical mindsets, and it's been not even just a movement. It's really been an instructional shift in a lot of different ways. And I know that there are teachers out there who are thinking about this as they start the school year, because now is the time to grab a hold of that mindset and that opportunity to teach with it. And Ray, I know that you've been having some thoughts about this for yourself as well in your new K-8 instructional coaching position. So i like to throw that out to you and put the ball in your court and say, uh, what do you think are great ways for us to start the school year with a growth mindset? Yeah, thanks, Dennis. And thank you for uh, that shout out. I did uh, accept a new role. Uh, For the first time in 10 years, I will not be teaching middle school math. I will be a K-8 instructional coach. So um, I've been really thinking a lot about some things that I can provide for the teachers that I service about how they can implement a growth mindset in their own classrooms. So first thing I wanted to talk about is 
if you're not familiar with the growth mindset, because you know we make those assumptions for our listeners that maybe they've heard this or know what it is, but might want to just uh, give an overview at first. And you did mention Joe Bowler. She's a Stanford professor. She runs an organization called ucube.org and has written a couple different books, one in which is called Mathematical Mindsets. And the whole idea is Joe Bowler and the people at Stanford are once again brain scientists. I know um, I'm now the brain science guy because I've mentioned it on two different podcasts now, but she talks about how the brain science that they've studied says that the mindset that a student has does matter. So a student's perspective on their own abilities affects the, their ability to learn or the way they learn. And then also, even just as importantly, is that brain science has proven the power of mistakes. Uh, when people make mistakes, uh, they've been able to prove that it causes their brain to grow, even if we're not cognizant of the fact that we're making mistakes in that uh, given moment. So because brain science has told us this, we can kind of take that the next step and say, okay, how can we as teachers take the instructional shift to teaching our students that learning is akin to getting stronger? And how are we going to get our students to believe that their abilities can be developed through dedication and hard work? So that's really the, the crux of the growth mindset right there is, you know, it's almost like a sport. How, how do we take students' thoughts about weightlifting or getting better at basketball or getting better at baseball or a musical instrument and then shift that to the growth that they need to show in the classroom as well? So I have a few tips uh, for the beginning of the year to have teachers implement a growth mindset for their students. So the first one, I would say for any teacher out there, uh, is to be intentional about teaching a growth mindset. This is not something that, you know, if you mention it every once in a while, yeah, students might pay attention. I always, at the beginning of the year, always used to ask kids to raise their hand if they've gotten 100% in math before and never made a mistake. And of course, no one would raise their hand, but that's just one time at the beginning of the year that I would mention it. We really do need to be intentional about teaching a growth mindset. That means showing videos. There's a couple great videos out there. One by Joe Bowler. She uh, has a great video called Boosting Math. If you Google Boosting Math, we'll of course have this in the show notes, but if you Google Boosting Math, there's a great video for any math teachers out there to show their students about how there are really no math people out there and uh, the power of making mistakes in a growth mindset. Um, I know that there's Plenty of videos out there with uh, inspirational quotes, you know, about Michael Jordan talks all the time about getting kicked off his high school basketball team and however many shots he's missed in his career, yet he's still one of the greatest basketball players ever. So there's definitely real life uh, examples that you can bring into a lesson to intentionally point out and teach a growth mindset. If you are a math teacher, Joe Bowler is a great place to start. I would definitely go to ucube.org. Uh, she has even added to her repertoire of things there just lately with this idea of a week of insp inspirational math where she has kind of spelled out the first couple weeks of school where you can do growth mindset, mathematics type of activities um, to really start the year with an intentional growth mindset in mind. Besides being intentional, I also would 
tell any teacher wanting to do this in their classroom to treat mistakes as a part of learning. Now, that is uh, a shift, I think, for a lot of people. I know that myself, as a math teacher, I live in a world of mistakes. That's just <laughs> what happens as a math teacher is just you're constantly dealing with mistakes. Um, it's true. Yeah. It, plus, I mean, every teacher out there will tell you that we all make mistakes as well. So when we make mistakes in the classroom, we need to treat that as an opportunity for learning and point that out to our students. But also, we need to celebrate mistakes. So when a student does make a mistake in, in a public arena in our classroom, we need to celebrate that. Say, thank you for growing your brain right now. And uh, thank you for making that mistake. We need to take that anxiety of making mistakes and flip it around and flip the script on it. So that's really just a simple kind of verbal thing that we can do in our own classroom, just turning a negative into a positive. The next thing that I would suggest for any teacher starting the school year with a growth mindset would be make more time for help. If we are going to be teaching this idea of mistakes help us grow our brain, it's what we do when we make a mistake that makes us the person that we are, then we need to make that time for students to make mistakes and for them to get help. That has to also be intentional because I feel like as teachers, we're always you know, rushing to the next thing. We're always rushing to the next uh, standard. We're always trying to get to the next uh, project or trying to wrap up whatever we're doing. One way to make more time for help is to reduce the amount of time that you're in front of the class. One way that I was able to do that in my class was I was able to take my mini lessons record them into short instructional videos, two to three minute videos for students to watch at their own pace. So more time was spent with them working independently and getting help when they needed it and less time with me in front of the class. So that might mean an instructional shift in your classroom, but ultimately making more time for help is gonna be positive for your students and also help you foster this growth mindset. Another thing that's going to happen if you foster a growth mindset in your classroom is you really need to create a no excuses culture because part of a growth mindset is setting the expectation that there is no excuse for not trying and no mistake goes unfixed. Work just doesn't go away. I think that in a lot of classrooms that are not taught in a growth mindset way, you get the test back, you get the paper back, you get six wrong or 10 wrong and the kid just kind of throws it in the circular file cabinet or they uh you know end up just shoving it in that folder and they never look at it again that's another instructional shift where you might want to consider doing more data-based formative assessments uh, there's a great uh, product out there called uh, go formative that gives instantaneous feedback for formative assessments so that every mistake in the classroom becomes an opportunity for learning and no mistake goes unfixed. And lastly, I would say for any teacher out there looking to begin the year with a growth mindset is to have a growth mindset for yourself. If you're not going to have that expectation for yourself to be that lifelong learner and grow from mistakes and learn from the things that you're not maybe the best at and to try hard uh, at becoming the best teacher that you can, then your students aren't going to see that in you and they're not going to see it modeled and they're not going to be trying to be the best person that they are as well. If 
you do that and you show growth mindset in your own practice, your students are going to fall in line and going to do the same. So I think that those are some good uh, examples of ways that you can start the year with some slight instructional shifts to improve uh, your instruction and to implement a growth mindset. And uh, I just want to throw it back to Dennis. I know I uh, talked for a while there, um, but I just want to know if you had any ideas, any feedback on anything that I had to say. Oh, you could talk for a while on this anytime you want. This is uh, this is the bread and butter. This is the good stuff. So uh, it's interesting too. I really start to see some cool parallels as you talk about this um, to being uh, intentional about having a growth mindset and celebrating mistakes. There are so many ways that we can do this physically in our classroom. Some teachers might think, you know, what's the actual thing you're going to do? Uh, I mean, we, there's lots of times where uh, we can celebrate our mistakes by actually talking about them with each other out loud. I made this mistake and here's how I fixed it. Uh, and even with my students uh, that I've been talking with some teachers about, uh, I'm trying to make a big shift in the way we test, especially in math, from that teaching to review to test, and then take out that review day, because that's that's not, I mean, I could do almost all the teaching in a review day if I had the time. So instead, just teaching and then assessing when we need to, and then giving kids a chance to make corrections and reflections and learn from their assessments and their mistakes, because there's no place where our kids are have a deadline on an assessment that they can't make a revision to at some point along the line. There, I mean, in, even in the world of deadlines, you're doing, you're constantly revising again and again and again until you have what you believe to be your perfect final product. Even with something like Flipgrid, when we tell our kids, "Hey, make a video for us," if they don't like it, they get to re-record it. It's, I'm not asking for the first one; I'm asking for the best one. And to put those things in front of them and say, "These are the things you get to do this year. You get to make corrections. You get to be valued for that." Because if you show me now that you know something and you didn't know it a week ago, hey, guess what? I'm happy that you know it, and I'm going to mark that down because I know that you know it, and we value those things, then their growth pays off. It's like a kid who would be on my track team when I was coaching who might be my fifth fastest guy, so he's not on my relay. But through his hard work, he surpasses my fourth fastest guy, and now he's on the relay. He's earned his spot. He's shown me what he can do through his hard work, and it's really important that we make sure that kids understand that, um, that we, we value that work. And from a leadership point of view, uh, you can't have teachers with a growth mindset unless you as a leader are willing to support a growth mindset, which means don't expect perfection from teachers. Don't expect them to know everything up front. Don't expect every lesson plan to be perfect or every lesson plan to be done on the day it was planned. Expect them to be constantly revising and reflecting and thinking about what's best for next because that's what makes them a better teacher. And if you allow that and encourage it, then you're showing them that I support a growth mindset in you and then they can naturally have it so it doesn't seem like they've constructed a fake growth mindset just to model for their kids. Instead, they have a natural one that they're living and breathing and their kids see it as effective. Um, I think that's a major way to, do, to, uh, to, to make that connection for teachers. You said so many great things right there. One thing I want to key in on, and it's funny because I actually just took the GRE last week. I'm thinking about going into policy and possibly going back to grad school, which I would have never guessed that I would want to go back to grad school, like if you asked me five years ago. But there is an importance of assessments in our society. You know, you have to take the GRE, you have to take entrance exams for medical school, you have to take 
the SAT the to bar get and the MCATs and everything like that afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's an importance to assessment in society and there is that idea that, you know, there is game time, even in sports, you do have to perform at a certain point, but those are actually pretty few and far between, unless you're a professional athlete, obviously in the real world, the final product isn't usually a one shot thing in most professions you have time to perfect your craft or you have time to learn from your mistakes and though it is important for us to teach the importance of assessments and teaching them how to do that and the importance of that i think it's also something that's been lost in that is the importance of learning from those mistakes and coming up with a great final product that might have taken you a couple of iterations to to finalize. And going back to another thing you said, uh, making the time in the classroom for this, I have started making sure to schedule a, an entire day after I give a big assessment just for corrections. And that's mm-hmm. not something that I would give myself the time to do in the past. And, you know, it seems so silly and something that's so easy to do. But when you're kind of chomping at the bit to get this section or lesson or topic wrapped up and move on to the next lesson you're kind of like okay let's get this uh test done and and let's move on but taking just that one day and those kids who got it get some extension activities they get to kind of relax a little bit they they did well they they get to extend their learning those people that really need that extra time to learn from those mistakes you need to give that to them it's a small instructional shift but it's 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 a very important one yeah, it, and it's not actually that small of an instructional shift because that's the type of thing that you get a lot of pushback on is someone saying like, well, I can't do that. I've got to move on to the next thing. My curriculum says this, but think about what you just said. If I've got to move on to the next lesson, my curriculum says this, my book has this in it. What part of that is about a kid? Like none of it. Like it's not about the kid in the room in front of you who needs you to help them learn. You are solely there to be responsible for their learning. And if you move on before they've learned, then you've dropped the ball on their learning just so that you could take the responsibility for a schedule. So that instructional shift, that idea that we are in this because we love students and we love kids, and we want them to grow and we want them to learn is the thing that needs to be the constant and reminded motivating factor behind why we might make this shift because that's what's going to be good for our kids. That's what's going to have them come to a place where they realize this person is here to help me learn as much as I can. And when they say it's time to move on, they're saying to me, I either have enough of it to be able to be successful moving on or they're going to be there for me and we just when, when I need them. And that's an important uh message to send so you're right i think yeah knowing when game time is there is good knowing that we have to perform at sometimes on a timeline and on a schedule is important but knowing that we're dealing with kids who are uh almost all of them not of legal age for anything then we're dealing <laughs> with children and uh that responsibility isn't actually theirs right now so we can teach them to be a little bit more metacognitive about the mistakes that they've made and how to fix them and what it means to learn from them yeah and if we're there doing the best for children, we really should be there to teach them how to be lifelong learners and how to learn for themselves. You know, we're not there just to deliver the notes on quadratic formula. You know, we're there, (laughs) we're there to, (laughs) we're there to 
teach students how to learn. And uh, ultimately, that's what's going to be best for them in their futures. I agree. So I think if our listeners are interested in learning more about growth mindset, uh, they should visit ucubed.org. They can Google search Joe Bowler, J-O-B-O-A-L-E-R. If they are math teachers, they can look up growth mindset out there. You can search Twitter chats about mindset and you can find uh, a lot of people talking about these resources pretty easily. Ray, do you have any uh, specific resources that you really prefer? So for those people looking for more resources on growth mindsets should really check out this great book called the growth mindset coach. And subsequently there's also another book by the same author, the growth mindset playbook. Those are both by Annie Brock and Heather Hundley. Both of those books are really great because like I talked about in the introduction to growth mindsets, we really want to be intentional about planning lessons around growth mindset implementing it into our classroom. And I know for a fact, I have growth mindset coach right in front of me right now. There are month by month lessons and month by month mantras to implement right into your classroom. So if there's anybody out there looking to learn more about growth mindset and also get actionable items that they can do in their classroom, definitely growth mindset coach and growth mindset playbook available on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Perfect, Ray. I think that's exactly the resources that our listeners are looking for. And I have Growth Mindset Coach, but not the Growth Mindset Playbook. So I think I need to pick up another book. We are here with the first guest on the Instant Relevance podcast. This is the first episode where we've had a guest involved in the conversation. And we welcome to the show today Quinn Rollins, who is the author of Play Like a Pirate, an excellent book in the Dave Burgess collection. And you can find more about Quinn at quinnrollins.com. And it's spelled exactly the way it sounds, Q-U-I-N-N-R-O-L-L-I-N-S.com. And we brought Quinn on with us today because we've been talking about how to start off the school year in an excellent and exciting way. And he put a blog post out a little while ago and then uh, brought it back up again about an awesome thing he does with Play-Doh to start the school year. And I'd like to give him a chance to tell us a little bit more about that and uh, why it works so well and why he loves it. Well, thanks for having me on. I, I think the first day of school and the first week of school is something that can really make or break that first uh, quarter with kids. And I think I, I teach high school. I'm at the, the secondary level. And there are a lot of teachers who spend most of that first day reading a disclosure statement, reading it word for word. Uh, okay, kids, make sure you bring this back. Make sure it's signed. I hear all the classroom rules. Uh, a lot of them don't even get into their curriculum, let alone do anything that would be considered engaging or, or even fun with kids. Wow. Yeah. That's one of the biggest issues. I remember going back, uh, while I was still in the high school math classroom and putting kids through, listening to me go over the syllabus with them for this class and then telling them, Oh, keep this piece of paper with you for the whole year. And I might give you some extra credit at the end of the year, just so I know you had all my rules and what a ridiculous way to start off a class that is. I mean, is that something that's going to bring kids in and really make them care about wanting to come back into that doorway again? And I don't know why they came back. I must've had some kind of sales pitch that hooked them, but something, um, 
so there's something pretty pretty dry and and boring about that so uh what is it that uh you've replaced that with well i uh I use a lot of a lot of toys and uh, graphic novels and games with with my students, and that's what Play Like a Pirate is is all about. Really, is student engagement using those classic toys. What I found works really well, and I know a lot of teachers use something like this already, is is Play Doh, both as a get to know you kind of exercise, but also as a way to uh, start kids looking into your curriculum. Um, the way I recommend doing it is you have multiple prompts. You can have six prompts or 12 prompts and have some of them be about uh, your curriculum. So I'm a history teacher, so it might be reviewing things they should have learned in previous years. They might be looking ahead to what we're going to be talking about during the school year. Um, you know, how to use Play-Doh to sculpt uh, the Civil War or the Boston Tea Party and have them do that and have discussions at their tables about what they sculpted and why they sculpted it. But also have, you know, throw in a school rule, throw in how do you prevent bullying at school? How do you, what's a school rule every kid should follow? Um, and then things that really have nothing to do with anything, but are just fun. Like you get to know the kids. Who can sculpt the craziest hairstyle? Who can sculpt what they looked like when they were two years old what uh what's a country you love to visit so just having that combination of things and then having them roll the dice and uh you know every table gets something different you can circulate as the teacher and find out more about your students see what they know about your curriculum and uh just have a lot more fun doing it than you would need to do it would just take like 20 minutes out of your class period out of your school day but it would be something that would be different enough from what the other teachers are doing that they would uh they'd have fun with it yeah that sounds amazing i'll be the first one to tell you that i'm guilty of assigning the first day get to know you just you know random sheet like how many pets do you have and you know what are your siblings names and you know, I'm bored even giving it to them, and uh, <laughs> I get so bored just reading them, to be honest, because, you know, I taught middle school for years, and, you know, middle school uh, kids' answers to those questions aren't particularly interesting. Um, so I think I would have had so much more fun uh, doing something like this in the classroom the first day, and I think the students uh, kind of get a barrage of that throughout the first day anyways, and... Uh, you know, might as well mix it up and do something really cool. I guess my uh, question is, is, uh, you know, some teachers would shy away from maybe an activity like this because of uh, discipline or maybe uh, they might be apprehensive because of the time or something like that. Um, were you worried about that when you first planned this? And uh, maybe take us through how you felt maybe the first time you tried it. Well, I taught... Uh... I hear you on the middle school thing. I taught seventh grade for about 10 years. There, there were class periods that I, uh, I might see them come in the door and I might feel like, oh, Play-Doh's going to be a mistake with these <laughs> kids, yeah. especially with you, Kyle. But uh, really, honestly, when I would pass it out, I would also give them sort of my list of warnings I think most kids do want to make a good first impression on their teacher. And, 
you know, when I handed it out, I said, okay, this doesn't go in your hair. It doesn't go in your neighbor's hair. It doesn't go in your ears or your mouth. It doesn't get on the carpet. And honestly, it was kind of good for me to see, okay, is this class going to have problems with some of my other class rules? It sort of gave me an, an early insight into who might be more, uh, might need more uh, of my attention. So, so no, I, I didn't ever really have a problem with it. Yeah, I've, I've used Play-Doh, I've used Lego. Um, I think something like sidewalk chalk is a great idea. Where I live, it's about 100 degrees in August, and so we're not doing that. But it's a great way to sort of preview your curriculum or to have them write something about themselves, write a positive message. Um, and, and it gets them out of their desks. I think it's, it's kind of criminal how in junior high and high school, kids are in their desks about seven hours a day. Yeah. It's no wonder they like their, their PE classes or their shop classes where they get to be out of their seats and actually doing something with their hands. I think in their history and science and English and math classes, they don't get to do that as much. Yeah, I can agree with that. I was in uh, just an administrative meeting today because I'm a district administrator, and uh, we were there for about six hours, and I sat for most of it. We were having conversations and going back over a lot of our manuals and rules and procedures for the year and safety procedures as well. But in you know, that second half of the day, I found myself squirming a lot and being uncomfortable and re actually thought, wow, this is what kids must feel like at the end of the day if they don't get up, if we don't give them a chance to get around. And you're right, any one of those opportunities, even if it's just to get up and go outside and draw a picture or let's get up and go down the hall and take a look at something or even move around to another desk and explain something you just did to somebody new, that's a great opportunity for kids to feel different physically, feel different in their classrooms. And uh, so I taught high school math for 13 years before I was, uh, I became an administrator when I moved back to New Jersey. And my wife is uh, an elementary school music teacher, grades K through six. So what kind of activities do you suggest for, you know, the high school math classroom or a K through six music classroom, or even how do you see what you've done, like with Play-Doh, uh, being able to be used effectively in those rooms too? You know, honestly, I think elementary teachers are so much better at all of this than secondary teachers anyway. Uh, I think they, they connect with kids more quickly, but I do think that it helps in, in any situation, it helps to try to meet the students on their ground. So if you are, I, I had principals who said, you need to go over the disclosure every, every first day of school. And, and that's fine, but find ways to let the kids be more involved, turn it into a scavenger hunt or, you know, how, you know, Kyle, how does, how would this impact you? If you were to write this rule, how would it be different? But I mean, something as simple as for, for a music teacher, you know, asking them what their favorite song is, what makes it their favorite song. Um, if we were going to do one thing in a music class this year, what would you do? What's your biggest fear about, about performing in music? How can we help you overcome that? I mean, elementary teachers, I think it's a more natural fit. I also think at the, the high school level, um, you know, I just met my new students this week and uh, right now, I have 230 of them, and wow. for me to to know 230 in my first two days of school isn't going to happen. But I can I can get sort of the general idea, the general shape of these kids, and who who I can make quick connections with, and who uh, 
who might be more of a more of an effort, more of a challenge. That's great. I was really impressed to hear when we first started talking that you do this with high school kids because I think, you know, when I first went to your website and I started kind of taking a look at your Twitter feed, I would have first guessed that you were an elementary school or a middle school teacher. And I think that it's great that, you know, you're making that stretch for those kids who, and let's be honest, I mean, when I was in high school, I probably still liked playing with Legos too. I mean, <laughs> it's uh, it's not a stretch uh, for, you know, kids in high school to still like playing with toys and, and doing fun things with their hands and being creative. I guess uh, going back to the fact that I did take a look at your website and everything before we had this conversation, I did see that you do kind of a lot of different things uh, beyond just the first day using kind of superheroes and other game-based activities. Uh, Is there anything that you would like to share um, how you use these uh, play-based activities to make learning relevant for your students? Yeah, I mean, a a lot of it is, I mean, I, I like toys and I like comics and I like, you know, I, I like super nerdy, geeky things myself. And right now, it just so happens that geek culture is kind of big with kids. Like, they know superheroes at the age of 15 that I only learned about last year. So they uh, they have a pretty deep knowledge of stuff like that. So, again, just meeting meeting them on their ground, bringing them something that they are interested in, and then somehow connecting it to your curriculum. I'm very big on using the symbolism of superheroes and then connecting them to uh, to a social studies curriculum, but you could do it with a science curriculum. You know, what uh, the steps of the scientific method could each have some sort of symbolism that connects with superheroes. Uh, the bills, the, the Bill of Rights, those amendments could each have a connection with a superhero and then have kids design their own superheroes that also represent that. That's something I'm doing on Friday with students. I, I think that the, the bigger message is really whatever your personal passion is, if you bring that into the classroom, the kids are gonna get on board with it. So if it's, if it's cooking or travel or architecture or basketball, if, if you bring some of yourself into the classroom, the, the kids are gonna be excited about it because it's different. Something you're happy about, something you're excited about, that they will want to get on board with it with you. I, I couldn't agree with you more, in fact, uh... You've just outlined chapter one of Instant Relevance, the, the I <laughs> chapter, which is infusing your life into your lessons. And it's using what you love most about your own life, which is a natural flow for finding things to extract valuable lessons from, but also using what our students love most in their lives and extracting lessons from that as well. Because that's, again, a path of least resistance to student engagement. and you found that and I think you found a really effective way to do that in your own life and your own career. And I think that's incredibly exciting because when you walk into your classroom, I could tell you're happy to be there. And that is not true for every teacher. And that creates a different feeling and a different culture naturally in your environment. And that's really exciting to know that um, you're creatively thinking about ways to do this. You're thinking about how you can use a superhero in a science classroom. Uh, We had 
students doing that with uh, Pokemon Go games, and all of a sudden they were designing their own new Pokemon characters based on the biological traits that should happen if their character was made from these biological foundations, you know? Um, so it's a really cool way to make sure that uh, those things that we love and that our kids love are being used, but not in a false pretense. They're really being used because there is desire to learn with and alongside those. So uh, thanks for sharing that with us. I think it's really exciting to me. And do you have one maybe new toy, maybe new idea, new resource thing that you've been uh, using a lot more lately or excited to use this year that you may not have used in the past? Oh, man. There, there are always ideas. Uh, really, something that that is so simple that uh that I, I haven't ever used before is just getting like a 36 piece jigsaw puzzle and turning it over upside down so the picture isn't up and the a team of students has to assemble it that way as a way to as as a team building kind of experience they they get frustrated with it they uh, they want to flip it over and look at the picture on the back, but you can't do that without flipping all the pieces over. Struggle with a challenge that on the surface is so ridiculously easy, but requires more thought and teamwork and organization than you would than you would expect. I can definitely imagine the frustration there. My mind, you know, when I was picturing that in my mind, the first thing I I saw was the, the students complaining <laughs> about uh, not being able to look at the picture. Oh, I, I, I kind of love it when students complain because it means they're, <laughs> they're having to stretch and think and do something different. If the complaining lasts for 90 minutes, then, then it gets old. But um, if it's the beginning of an activity, it means that they're frustrated. And a lot of times that's the first step towards, towards learning something. That's great. It really is... Uh... In math, we use the phrase productive struggle a lot, and I think that's a really valuable phrase across the board is, you know, you don't get stronger unless you lift something a little heavier. You don't uh, get faster unless you work a little bit harder. You don't get better at playing an instrument unless you practice a little bit more and struggle through something you haven't learned before. And even in just thought, you don't become a better thinker and a better problem solver by always picking the easy problems to solve and not struggling through them. So, yeah, that you're getting them into struggling early to the point of desiring teamwork and that is huge to have our kids want to work together it's real collaboration it's not just uh, groups of kids sitting together working individually and calling it group work so that's, that's an effective way to really grab a hold of them and get them going so Quinn I wanted to thank you for coming and sharing your ideas with us today and giving us not only ideas to try and some practical things but really a mindset to to approach our students with which is that uh, you know, if you love something and they love something, find a way to use it in their classroom and in your classroom and don't turn away from the thing that you love the most, the thing that you geek out on, that thing that, that you would do all the time if you didn't, if you weren't doing this. Uh, that becomes something valuable and again, memorable. Like you said, you're going to, your students are going to leave your first day of class with a different memory than the rest because you gave them an environment that was was interesting and creative to them. So thank you for doing that for your 230 students. They will appreciate <laughs> it. The school will appreciate it. The most I've ever had in my life is 110 at once. And I cannot imagine what it's like to have over 200 students. So you are a true American hero. Uh, <laughs> Quinn Rollins, superhero. And thank you again for, for sharing and giving us your time today. All right. Thank you, guys.
Well, there you have it, episode two of the Instant Relevance podcast. Thanks again for listening today. You heard a little bit about how to start the year with a growth mindset and how to encourage a growth mindset in your students and your teachers if you're a school leader. And we heard a lot from our guest, Quinn Rollins, today about how to make play an important part of the start of the school year and how to really engage your kids with what matters to you in an exciting and fun way. Uh, never underestimate the importance of play and of fun in your classroom. So again, thank you. And you can find us on Twitter at InstantRel, I-N-S-T-A-N-T-R-E-L. Or you can find me, Dennis Sheeran, at DennisSheeran.com or on Twitter at MathDennisNJ. You can find me, Raymond Steinmetz, at blended underscore math. Thank you for joining this week, and I hope that you continue to listen and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice.